We're so glad that you are here. I love that song because it's just a continual reminder to me that no matter how far I choose to continue to turn and run from God, He is relentlessly pursuing me, and His love for me is relentless, and, um, and, and I can't outrun the love of God, so I just need to turn and respond to it. And right now we're going to continue in our worship, and so let's just pray together, and our offering is going to come around as we worship. Um, let's just pray. God, um, we are here in your presence, and we want to rest. We want to rest in the presence of God as we lift up the name of Jesus. We want to make much of the name of Jesus here together, God, and be refreshed so that we can go out and make much of the name of Jesus uh, as we occupy our streets, Lord, with, with your love and with the gospel. And so, Father, just receive our praise this morning. I pray for every heart here. God, um, we, we are broken. We just need to realize that to you, and I pray that we would understand and know that you can heal our brokenness and you can give us freedom. And so we're thankful for the freedom that we have in the blood of Jesus. Um, Father, reveal that truth to us over and over again as we forget so easily. Lord, your grace is an amazing thing um, that I can't fathom because it's so hard for me to give. Um, and, and, but help us to receive it this morning. Uh, Lord, your, your unfathomable grace and your relentless love for us. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. We want to start with some important things uh, first here. So, who, who's a Cyclone fan? Okay, who's a Hawkeye fan? All right. Okay, so I, I, give, I want to test your fandom a little bit. So I want to give you a little quiz, all right, and see if you are really a Cyclone or a Hawkeye, all right? So just see how you do. You can answer it, and then I want to see how we did at the end. If you're a Cyclone, first question here, who is the football field named after? Okay, mental note. Hawkeyes, who won the Heisman Trophy? For you. Yeah, Vance, you don't know the answer to that? I didn't want the answer now. Gee, man. All right. Uh, who is the mayor? Hawkeyes, who is known for I love it, I love it, I love it? Cyclones, name the Cyclone, who was a two-time Heisman finalist. Number three, Hawkeyes, who was the opponent in the famous 1985 number one versus number two game? Cyclones, which NBA team drafted George Niang? Who is the all-time leading scorer in Iowa men's basketball? Who was the architect of the run, Cyclones? And the last one for the Hawkeyes, from 1998 to 2002, five-year span, how many times did Iowa beat Iowa State in football? Okay, so uh, how'd you guys do? Can you answer them? Cyclones, look, look through that. How'd we do? Who got five of five? Okay, a couple of you. All right, now I know the true fans here. Hawkeyes? Anybody get five of five? Alex, that's it? You didn't, fans? You only knew Niall, huh? All right, well, I'll give you the answers here. Football field, Jack Trice. Who is the mayor? Where's Gretchen? Gretchen, who is the mayor? Yes, thank you, all right. Uh, Cyclone, who was the two-time Heisman finalist? Alan? Troy Davis, yes, thank you. Which NBA team drafted George Niang? The Pacers, 
Yes, we're Pacers fans now. Who is the architect of the run? Seneca Wallace, right? Yeah, come on. Greatest play in Iowa State history. Okay. Uh, who won the Heisman? We already said that. Who's known for I love it, I love it, I love it? Who is the opponent in the famous 1985 number one, number two game? Michigan, all-time leading scorer in men's basketball for Iowa? Roy Marble. And the answer to number five, of course, is zero. Okay, now, since 1998, Iowa State has beaten Iowa ten times. Iowa's only won eight. Nobody cares what happened before that time. Okay, so, now another test to find a true Iowa State fan is, you know, how does this make you feel? Gretchen? Right, to see him leave was saddening. Okay, now, I, I can... I can ask you questions, and I can determine, you know, are you really an Iowa State fan? Are you really an Iowa fan? We can go over this list, and you know what? I may have a lot of knowledge of Iowa State. I may have a lot of knowledge of Iowa State or Iowa or whoever it might be, and we can answer questions, and we can look at it, and we can say, yeah, okay, I'm a fan. I know the answers, and oftentimes, when we talk about today's message, religious or redeemed, Here's the thing. Many times I could ask people, I could put a question. I could put another five questions about Jesus up there, about who he is and what he has done. And you know what? All of us might be able to answer those questions. Much of the United States might be able to answer those questions about Jesus. But here's the problem, is that although we have the information and we may know the answers and we may see it and realize it, there's never been that heart transformation. And the whole message, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 today, and the whole message, we're coming to the end of this Sermon on the Mount, and the whole message of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus wanting us to check our heart condition. The problem is many people today, many people today may know the answers. They may have it all right here, but Jesus has never transformed their hearts and their souls. And you could ask much of the evangelical world today, and they could tell you about who Jesus is and what he has done, and they could maybe believe that the, the word of God is inspired, but there's been no transformation of the heart and soul. And this idea of religious verse redeemed is the theme of the entire Sermon on the Mount. It's the theme of the message today as we see the words of Jesus, but it's the theme of that entire message that Jesus has preached. It wasn't a message of, okay, here's someone who's lost, and here's someone who is far from God, and here's someone who has no belief in God, and here's someone who knows God. It's a message of, here's someone who thinks he's got it. Here's a religious person, yet here is a redeemed person. And on the outside, they may look the same. They may have the answers. They may live that type of life. It's true today, we look at evangelicals, many people, you look throughout the church, and there's almost like these key words, these key questions you have to answer. And if you can answer them, oh yeah, you know what, that guy seems like he belongs, right? I, he knows the answers to that, he must be part of the team. But the reality is, their lives have not been changed. They have not been transformed by the power of the gospel. They don't understand the words when Jesus talked about to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And so this morning we want to look at it. We want to realize that as Jesus has given this Sermon on the Mount, his message then is the same message today. Uh, Solomon said in Proverbs 30, 12, he says, those who are pure in their own eyes 
and yet not cleansed of their filth. They believe they've got it together. They believe they have the answers. They believe that they know God, yet their lives don't reflect it. There's been no change. They have not been redeemed. I love this quote by John Newton. He says, if I ever reach heaven, I expect to find three wonders there. First, to meet some I had not thought to see. Second, to miss some I expected to see there. And third, the greatest wonder of all, to find myself there. See, it's not about what we know. It's not about the type of life that we live. It's not about being religious or knowing the answers or living what the Bible would tell us to live. But it's about knowing Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus. It's about understanding that he is the living water, that he is the bread of life, that he offers life and life abundant. And so the message here that Jesus gives us today is that we would understand this. And so with this, Jesus speaks with those who are kind of self-deluded or maybe even pretenders or can even be professors of the truth, that they proclaim the truth. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 7, you can turn there and follow along with me. We're going to read at the end of the chapter here. Verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Let's pray. God, we, we ask this morning as we look at this, this powerful message, this powerful sermon that Jesus gave, and as we conclude it, God, let it sink in. God, speak to us. Show us the truth of the words of Jesus. And God, as we examine our own hearts, God, may we understand this great need to be forgiven, to be redeemed. This great need for Jesus. That it wouldn't just be about going through the motions. It wouldn't just be about showing up at church and singing songs and, and giving and doing all of these things that look good but it would be about being transformed by the power of the message of the cross, transformed by Jesus. God, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we look at verses 21 through 23, a few things we want to see. And, and this, this profession, as they had come to Jesus, we're going to see several things. But what we understand is there are two things, two things, lip service and lifestyle. Two things that really Jesus speaks against the entire Sermon on the Mount, not only here, but the entire message. Lip service and lifestyle. That it just not be spoken words and we wouldn't go through the motions. It wouldn't be that our lifestyle reflects that we might be. Those aren't bad things, but we don't do them to earn favor with God, right? We do them because we've been redeemed. We do them because we've been bought back. We do them because Jesus went to the cross. And it's our response to those things. But what Jesus is speaking here in the Sermon on the Mount, he says so many people 
religion, they're looking for favor from God, and what do they do? Well, they'll say the right things, they'll do the right things, yet their heart is still far from God. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but when we think about it, this is how we are, right? Maybe it's because we want favor with God. Maybe it's because, you know what, our family does it. We want acceptance within our family. Maybe we're looking for something from return from God. Whatever the reason is, we give lip service, we give lifestyle, but there's no transformation or change of the heart. When looking at these, uh, these verses 21 through 23, we, we see almost a confession. And John Stott, he talked about kind of four things you see in this confession. Lord, Lord. Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons. And in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. And so you read through this confession. It looks pretty good, right? Here, here they come to him, Jesus. They cry out, Lord, Lord, here's what we've done. Here's what we proclaimed. We preached your message. We drove out demons. We performed miracles. And yet something was missing, wasn't it? The lip service was there. The lifestyle was there. But something was missing. So John Stott, when he looks at this and he looks at this profession, he sees a couple things. One, you know, it's kind of this sense of being polite, that they refer to him almost as sir. Lord can mean that. But also, there was an orthodox to it. So when he says, Lord, Lord, there is a recognition that this is God that we're dealing with. Lord, Lord, we're proclaiming it. The third thing we see is it's fervent. There's passion in it. Anytime you see Lord, Lord, or a, a, a name repeated like that, You'll see what Jesus says on the cross, right? My God, my God. He repeats it. It's a sense of passion. Uh, um, David, when his son Absalom dies, he says, Absalom, Absalom, my son. There's a love and a passion that's seen. And so here we see it. Lord, Lord, a fervency, a passion behind it. And then we also see a public profession. Hey, we proclaimed it. Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name, in public. And you look at that, and you see this, and like, that, that's an awesome profession, right? I, I come to God. I know who he is. Uh, there's passion and fervency behind it. Lord, Lord, I'm crying out. I proclaim his name to other people. And we see the profession, and it looks pretty good. If I could make a profession like that, how awesome. It's an incredible thing. Yeah, what's missing? Religious verse redeemed. The theme of the entire message of the Sermon on the Mount. That it's not about lip service, it's not about lifestyle, but it's about an issue of the soul. It's about an issue of the heart. Now we want to understand a few things. Uh, one, there, there needs to be confession, right? We recognize that. Romans 10, Paul says this. He says, if you declare with your mouth, Declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. So is that profession important? Absolutely. Absolutely is important. With the mouth, we, we confess, resulting in salvation. But here's the problem. 
A person who refuses to say, Lord, Lord, is not a Christian. If we refuse a confession, if we refuse to go and we look at this great confession, or seemingly so in Matthew 7, and we refuse to say, Lord, Lord, we know we miss the boat because confession needs to happen. Paul tells us that. We must confess, so we have to have it. I'll say this, that all true Christians say, Lord, Lord, but not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is a true Christian. In other words, we must confess. You must confess your sin. You must confess your great need for God. But just because one does it does not mean they've been saved, does not mean they've been bought back, does not mean they've been redeemed. It's a sobering thought, but Jesus says it. These are Jesus' words, not mine, right? Jesus says many, many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? Did we not proclaim your name? Did we not perform miracles? Did we not drive out demons? Now we do all of these things. And Jesus says, I, I never knew you. They confessed it. They, they had the verbal proclamation. They Even if you look at their lifestyle, they did things that you would expect Christians would do. Yet, for whatever reason, there was never a transformation of the heart, of the soul. There was never a surrendering their life to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus warns us of this. And while he warns us throughout the entire message of the Sermon on the Mount, he drives it home here at the end. I want you to get it. I want you to understand. Don't be like the religious and think that you have it, but understand your need for me. Here's the reality. You can absolutely be correct about the person of Christ. You can know everything there is about the person of Christ. Your eschatology could be perfect. You could believe in the return of Jesus. You could know everything about the doctrine, the truths of the doctrine we find in Scripture. You could even defend the faith. You could do all those things, and you could still be lost. And we see it. We see it. I, I, I remember my time uh, as the youth pastor here, and we saw God do some, some pretty cool things. And one of the things you see in there is that there's this zeal, right? Lord, Lord, there's this passion, this zeal. And, and you look at this, and the lifestyle reflects it, and the lip service reflects it, yet there is no salvation. And I remember my time uh, as the youth pastor, and we saw many people make a decision for Jesus. And I can think of certain instances where somebody made a decision, and there was a lot of passion, and they talked about it. And they talked about, here's what Jesus has done in my life, and they were passionate about sharing it. But then, a month, two months, several months later, what happened? Their lives no longer reflected that they had this passion for Jesus. Their lives no longer reflected that they were changed by the gospel. And it was gone. Didn't show up or quit coming or, or whatever it might have been. So at first showed this great passion and excitement, even proclaimed and confessed yet, in the end, wanted nothing to do with it. And so I'm reminded of a couple of things. I'm reminded of the story in uh, John chapter 8. Jesus is preaching, and it says at the beginning of John chapter 8, it says, those who had believed are following Jesus. They're listening to his message. They're hearing what he has to say. And it says, to those who had believed, he's preaching. 
Well, to that same group, those who had believed, at the end of his message in John chapter 8, guess what they're trying to do to him? Kill him. They want to murder him. So here they had gone in a very short time, those who had believed, right? They'd followed Jesus. They'd heard his message. They believed. And yet, by the end of the message, they want to kill him. See, a lot of times, our lives or our lip service and the lifestyle can reflect, yet there's no true change or transformation of the heart. And we think of the, the parable of the sower and this great story Jesus talks about, you know, some falls along the path and quickly bird comes, snatches it up. Some in the rocks and it will sprout up quick and it will look like it's going to grow, yet there's no root. And then the thorns which snatch up and the, the, the troubles and the desires of this world just eat it. And then the true soil. And you see that, and, and you, you read this story, and I think Jesus kind of driving home the same point, that we must be truly transformed, surrender to him, and surrender to the truth of the gospel. And so they say, Lord, Lord, not every, Lord, Lord, and many will say it. And look at what else they do, right? We mentioned this. They said, did we not prophesy? The word there, prophesy, means preach. Did we not preach your name? Did we not preach your word? Isn't that amazing? These guys, whoever is standing in front of Jesus here, they preached, proclaim the name of Jesus, yet Jesus said, you know what, I, I never knew you. And, and this can happen. You look at the story of Balaam, and you look at the story of Saul, and here are two guys that, given a word by God, proclaim the word of God, yet you know, Balaam an apostate, and Saul lost, yet given a word by God. And it's sobering to think how many churches in America even today were people both within the church, people even preaching a message, who, who don't know Jesus. They may know what the word of God says. They may even know the truth. But yet there's been no change or transformation. There's been no surrendering of their life to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second thing is, did we not drive out demons? So this group, standing before Jesus, even drove out demons. Yet Jesus said, I, I never knew you. Uh, that, that amazed me. So in some way or some form or fashion, they had the power to do this. Yet no relationship with Jesus. Uh, you think of Judas, and I, I would imagine that Judas was part of the 72 that Jesus went out. I don't think there's any reason to believe he wasn't. And those 72 were sent out, and it said right there in Luke 7, 10, 17, they were driving him out in his name, and Judas part of that. So clearly, it could be done apart from Jesus. And the last one, did we not perform miracles. They did amazing things, and you know what? They even did it in the name of Jesus, yet they did not know Jesus. We can do incredible things. We can proclaim his name, all these things, but it does not mean we have a relationship with Jesus. Matthew 24, 24 says, for false prophets, false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, even 
the elect. And we see it all over the world, don't we? We see people proclaiming and doing things in the name of Jesus, doing incredible things. And because it's in the name of Jesus, we just, yeah, you know what? We assume it's fine. But how many? Back in Jesus' day, in our day, still, maybe do things in the name of Jesus. But do we have a relationship? That's what it comes down to. We can give all the lip service and we give all the lifestyle, but have you been changed? Has your heart been transformed? Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. And I think it's a challenge for many who have grown up in the church, lived in the church, been part of the church their entire lives. Because are we doing it because my family did it? Are we doing it just because I've heard the stories and you know what, I believe it to be true? Or has Jesus really transformed us? Have we really surrendered our lives to the gospel? Has he changed us? They've performed miracles. They've preached in his name. They've driven out demons. You look at it and you're like, man, that's some pretty cool stuff. Surely they know Jesus. Yet Jesus says many, 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 not, not a dozen, not whatever, many will do these things, yet they don't know me. They don't have a relationship with me. And that's what it comes down to. So what is the answer? What does a disciple look like? What does someone who's been redeemed look like? Religious versus redeemed. I think you go back to 20, verse 21 and you see it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What does a person who's been redeemed, what does a person who knows Jesus has a relationship with Jesus look like? Someone who does the will of the Father. Now, don't, don't look at this like it's some workspace thing, like, okay, here's a list of things that I need to do, then I've accomplished it. That's not what Jesus is saying. Remember, this is the end of this great message. It's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So it's a reflection of this entire message that he has preached. And so what he's saying here is that the will of the Father is everything I just talked about. The whole message of the Sermon on the Mount is not about action. It's not about what we do, but it's about your heart condition. And look, if you go back and read through the Sermon on the Mount, the, the question is, am I poor in spirit? Am I meek? Do I realize I'm a sinner, I'm lost, and I'm in need of Jesus? Do I stand up for truth? Do I stand up for others? Am I compassionate to those who are hurting? Am I compassionate to those who are lost? Do I forgive or do I hold on to grudges? All of these things found within the Sermon on the Mount and a follower of Jesus Christ, one who knows Jesus has been redeemed. The will of the Father, that's what it is. Someone who knows and understands this, sermon, this great message that he's preached. If you want to know how to live and to follow Jesus, you want to know what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, and we've just spent the last, what, eight, ten weeks talking about it. This is what the heart of a disciple of Jesus looks like. Someone who does the will of the Father, it's all right there. So, this section ends, and if we look down at verse 24, Jesus kind of wraps it all up, and the message comes back to where it's been all the time, that this isn't a message about someone who is lost 
and someone who's found. But it's a message about someone who looks like they've got it and someone who actually has it. Right? Read through the entire Sermon on the Mount. It's the religious and the redeemed. Are you religious or are you redeemed? And how he ends this Sermon on the Mount is no different. And so what we see here, therefore, everyone hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. This really sums it up. It's the religious or the righteous. See, if you look at things, and uh, I sell real estate, right, and I work with a builder. And so right now in Waukee, we have one street. And guess what? On one side of the street, we have a 1,950-square-foot two-story, the Claremont plan. And guess what we have on the other side of the street? Any guesses? We have a 1,950-square-foot two-story called the Claremont plan. All right? And so we have these two houses, and they're right across the street from each other. And you can drive across many neighborhoods in the Des Moines area, and do you see the same house on one side of the street and probably the other side of the street? Yeah. And if you look at them, guess what? They look an awful lot alike, don't they? And you have to really get inside them to see the difference, and maybe one has hardwood floors and one has tile or whatever else it might be, different counter, different style, different style cabinets. And with inside, they're different. But if you look at them, you see no different. There's nothing different of them. And what Jesus is trying to illustrate, he says, if, if you look and you see these two houses, guess what? They look an awful lot alike. And this is the way it is with the religious person and the redeemed person. You look at them, and they look alike. Remember what he said, these, these guys were preaching my name. These guys were driving out demons. These guys were performing miracles, yet did they know Jesus? No, they didn't know Jesus, the religious person. And so you look at it, and you see on the surface, they look an awful lot alike, that there really isn't much difference. And this is a sobering thought, because I think it was true in Jesus' day, I think it's true today, that as we look and we see that there are many people who look and act and talk like Christians. They know the words, they know all the answers to the questions, yet they don't know Jesus. And what Jesus is illustrating here is, listen, we can look and act and know the answers and do all these things, yet you can be lost. Man, that's, that's sobering. That, that's hard to hear. And my guess is that even this morning that there are people here this morning that we can look it, we can act it, we can say it, but do we have it? Do we have this foundation that Jesus is talking about? And the simple answer to this foundation that Jesus is talking about is a relationship with him. That it's not about showing up to church, it's not about coming here and singing the songs and worshiping, it's not about giving those things are, are good. 
right? But they're a response to this relationship we have with Jesus. We don't do it to earn favor with God. We don't do it so we might know God. We do it because we love Jesus. We do it because I have a relationship with Jesus, and this is my response to it. Where are you? What is your heart condition? What is your foundation built on? And Jesus gives this great story, and the storms come, the waves come, all these things come. When the foundation is built upon Jesus, it lasts, right? When it is not, it crumbles. And how many under this crumbling foundation, this crumbling house, cry out, Lord, Lord. Yet he makes a statement, I never knew you. Because there was no relationship with Jesus. Lives had not been changed and transformed by the power of the gospel. I want to tell you about my boyhood idol, right? George Brett. You guys know George Brett, right? George Brett is uh, the greatest royal who ever played, and I was, he was, I love George Brett. George Howard Brett is his name, in fact. George Brett is the only guy to win the batting title in three different decades. Did you know that? Do you know George Brett is the closest to come to hit 400 since Ted Williams hit 400? No? Did you know I have like 200 George Brett baseball cards? There was a time when I was going to get to meet George Brett. It was prior to a baseball, to a game, and we were at Worlds of Fun, I think. We were heading over to the game, and like most things in my life, it was my dad's fault I didn't get to meet him. And so we're on our way, and we get caught in traffic, and I don't get to meet George Brett. Now, do I know a lot about George Brett? More than you, right? I know a lot about George Brett. If you ask, ask me questions about George Brett, there's a good chance I've got the answer. If I walk down the street today and there is George Brett and I go up and I shake George Brett's hand, is George Brett going to know me? No. See, we can know all the answers. We can have all that memorized. We can look the part. We can do the actions. We can give the lip service and the lifestyle. But knowing all that, it's not enough. It's not a relationship. We must have a relationship with Jesus. We must be transformed by the power of the gospel. We must surrender our lives to him. Knowing facts and figures, memorizing, knowing all the, the, the doctrine in the Bible, knowing that Jesus is the Son of God, knowing that fully man, fully God came to die for you, rose again, and he's coming back, knowing those things is not enough. Knowledge is not enough, but a true relationship with Jesus is what is required. Many, many will say, Lord, Lord, we knew it. We knew it. I knew all the stats. Yet their lives had not been changed and transformed. And so as we sit here today, may we examine our own lives. Is this just something we do to look good, to impress our family, impress our friends, impress God? Or have we been transformed and changed by the power of the gospel? Do we know the living water? Do we know the bread of life? Have we been born again? Let's pray. God, we, 
we thank you for this great message, the greatest sermon ever preached. And it is a message of religious or redeemed. It is a message of people who oftentimes thought they had it, yet their hearts were far from God. God, we don't want that to be us. We don't want to be sitting here this morning being one of those religious ones. At the end of our life, we would hear, I never knew you. Away from me. God, if we are here this morning and we have not been changed by the power of the gospel, God, may you convict our hearts. May you show us this truth of your son, Jesus, who although we deserve to die, we deserved to pay the penalty for our wrongdoing. Jesus took it upon himself. And now we can be sons and daughters. We can be forgiven. We can be redeemed. We can be bought back because of Jesus. We can have life and life to the fullest because of Jesus. God, let, let us not leave here. Not leave here without knowing we have this foundation in Jesus Christ. Show us what it is to have a relationship with him. Now, thank you for Jesus. As we take the bread and the juice, help us to remember this great thing that he has done. And the only reason we can come to you is because of what Jesus has done. The only reason we can sit here today, enter your presence, the only reason we can sing and worship about you is because of what your son has done that he has prepared a way, that he has gone to the cross. And if we would only confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts, we can be saved, we can be forgiven, we can be a part of the family of God. We can know where we stand with you, where we stand for all of eternity. God, show us this this morning. And as we take the bread and the juice, help us to remember the body of Christ, broken for us, the blood of Jesus, shed to cover our sins, that now when you look at us, God, you see Jesus. You don't see our sin, you don't see our shame, you don't see any of that, you see Jesus. Thank you for the finished work of the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. pressing message, you know, as you think about it, but there is no middle ground with Jesus. See, either you are lost or you are found. Either you are redeemed or you're not. And we don't want to think that our religious actions or the things that we say or knowing the right things is enough, but it's only in that relationship with Jesus. In that alone can we be saved. In that alone can we find new and abundant whole life. So that's what we want you to know. And as we look and we examine our heart, listen, 
We're saved or we're not. We're bought back or we're not. We're redeemed or we're not. And there is no middle ground. Know where you are at. Seek him. Seek answers. Because we're either found or we're not. Let's pray. Before we're going we're gonna to sing one more song together, but let me end in prayer. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we that he came to redeem us. And God, if we have been redeemed, now let us live as redeemed people. We, we see what it looks like. We've read and we've heard what it looks like to have the heart of you, to have the heart of God. God, that we'd have a heart for the lost, that we'd have a, a compassion for those in need, that we'd stand for truth. God, that we'd forgive. God, that we'd be meek that we'd be all of these things. This is what you seek and desire from us. Thank you for this, this great message, this Sermon on the Mount that you gave us, that we would know how to live, that we'd know how to follow you. we know how to treat others. Now help us to go live it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.